You are listening to WHUPLP Hillsboro. My name is Gilbert Neal, and this is D Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. This is my first show in the studio in about a month, month and a half. So, hopefully, the world did not fall apart in the meantime. Let's see. So, today's show is, oh, it's, it's so fun. If you hang in there with me, it's going to be a lot of fun. If I hang in there with me, it'll be even more. But today's show starts off with a set by a guy named Tim Curry. Now, some of you out there, people of a certain age, will know that Tim Curry played the part of Frank N. Furter in the movie Rocky Horror Picture Show. I don't embarrass easy. But I embarrassed. I was embarrassed that day when I went to see that movie with uh, Guy and a bunch of friends and another guy. And we all sat in that theater and watched Rocky Horror Picture Show as people threw toast and, I don't know, squirted water and yelled lines and stuff. The only other time I had... I had seen that was when they showed uh, Citizen Kane. So uh, that was a pretty embarrassing thing because I felt like I was, you know, in my early 20s, still too old for that sort of thing. But I could not say that Tim Curry was not charismatic. He sure was. And he went on to become well, somewhat ubiquitous in showbiz, and he's still around. He's still alive. I think he had a stroke or something, and I think a debilitating injury or something. But he uh, actually did more stuff than I was aware when I started researching this show. One of, one of the one of the strange things was that right at well, not right after, but after the Rocky Horror Show, and after the movie came out, and after he had performed in, in in music, done his albums, which I'm going to play for you. He was actually in uh, Amadeus. Now, many people, of course, people of a certain age will know that Amadeus was the Academy Award winning movie uh, featuring Tom Hulse and F. Murray Abraham. Who could not love that sort of thing? Well, it was actually a play. It was actually... Uh, a play before that and the part of Mozart was played by Tim Curry and the part of Salieri was played by uh, Ian McKellar you know him from the Harry Potters so the ironic thing is that Tim Curry was actually nominated for a Tony Award but he lost to his co-star Ian McKellar is it McKellar or McKellar? I don't know. I'm not into the Harry Potter stuff. But, and then when the Academy Awards came out for uh, Amadeus, the movie, uh, Tom Hulse lost to F. Marie Abraham, who also played Salieri. Isn't that something? But before that, he actually had some pretty good albums out. I think he recorded three of them, recorded some singles before that, and they were all pretty good. And the reason that they were pretty good is because 
They involved uh, heavy hitters like Michael Kamen and, uh, <clears throat> gosh, um, what was his name? Bass player. Uh, can't recall. Um, and really, real, you know, real professional studio cats. And you can hear it on every track. I mean, he went nuts on uh, his second album. His first album was, I, I guess, kind of played for a joke, I guess you could say. But um, his second album, it was, uh, it was. I remember when it came out, it was um, a big deal. The second album was called Fearless. The first one was called uh, Read My Lips. And his last album was called Simplicity in 1981, and then he stopped. Uh, Dick Wagner, who was a partner of Lou Reed, and uh, before that, uh, well, after that, uh, Alice Cooper. And Bob Babbitt, who was a bass player for, um, he, he was a studio guy, but he played uh, on uh, the uh, What's Going On album, the Marvin Gaye, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Co-wrote a whole bunch of other stuff. But let's quit with my babbling and let's get on with the music. So I'm going to play you a selection, a soupçon of Tim Curry solo stuff. Like 
Someone special to do that, you have a real hairdresser, you just uh, do it yourself. Oh. oh, must take hours of labor. But then you got a lot of free time. Baby's got a dream, it's together. That's a sing along, you know? Sing along, 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 sing along. She say, I'm 
Do it, do it, do it. 
For those of you who are new to my program, I don't play any songs that reach the top 40 unless that top 40 song was being sung by a different artist. So anyway, uh, I'm Gilbert Neal. This is D-Sides, Orphans and Oddities. I play obscure songs from 1965 or thereabouts to 1980 or thereabouts. And, of course, lend you my hard-earned expertise in the middle. And uh, Tim Curry is no exception. That was an interesting set. The uh, first song I played was his follow-up to I Do the Rock, um, which was called Paradise Garage which was uh, co-written by uh, Dick Wagner, who I talked about a little bit before, uh, from 1979, from the Fearless album. And uh, after that, uh, Working on My Tan, which was the first song on side one of his follow-up. The album was called Simplicity. Perhaps the lack of success thereof made him think of maybe doing something else or focusing more on voiceover work or whatever, something easy like acting. After that, his version of the Move song, Brontosaurus from 1978, his his first album, Read My Lips. I uh, am a Move fan, and I, I especially like the albums and the songs that they did after Jeff Lynne joined the group because I think that that was an interesting dynamic. Obviously, those two men loved each other, and they loved making music uh, together. So Brontosaurus, eh, slow and plodding, and even slower and even plottinger on uh, this version. And then a single he recorded in 1975, uh, right after the Rocky Horror thing, and it was called, and it is called, We Went As Far As We Felt Like Going. And it was written by Bob Crew and Kenny Nolan. Who are Bob Crew and Kenny Nolan? Well, by golly, by gosh, if you listen to this show, you know. But if you don't, you don't. So they wrote My Eyes Adored You, which was a big hit for Frankie Valley around that time, 74. Mys adored you, though I never laid a hand on you. Mys adored you. Um, pretty creepy song, actually, now, if you think about it. But don't. Um, but it was a big hit, and it was one of the early songs uh, in his and his band, uh, The Four Seasons, uh, revival of their career in the mid-'70s. And uh, they also wrote Lady Marmalade for LaBelle, also in 1974. And that's why that, I don't know if that's why, but that song sounds a lot like the one that you just heard. Sort of the same groove, sort of the same loopiness, same swing. Still not bad, not great. Uh, sounds a lot like uh, Evil, Way, Evil Ways um, by Santana. I mean, the song that Santana made famous. So there's my little tribute to Tim Curry, still still alive, still, alive, still out there. Uh, I hope he's okay. Uh, I have a bit, bad feeling, actually. All right, so uh, I'm going to go now with a set of music and lots of explanation I'm going to have to do.
but I don't mind because I just love you that much. So here we go. This is going to be interesting. Or not.
time we have a quarrel, it almost breaks my heart. Cause I am so afraid that we will have to part. Each night I ask the stars up above, why must I be a teenager in love? One day I feel so happy, next day I feel so sad.
Give me 50 miscellaneous facts about Sonny and Cher. Wet lipstick, Tom Jones shirts, diet sodas for breakfast. It's pop, it's pop. If it ain't pop, it just ain't. No. I said no. Hey, bird, we've never met, but you've such ersatz eyes. Let us cool our contemplations for the evening flies. It's pop. Yeah, pop. And it's all right. This time, pop is always changing, changing. Something can be in today and out tomorrow. Comprende? All right. All right, enter the brave new world of pop. Ish. Well, this is D Sides, Orphans, and Oddities on WHUP. WHUPFM.org if you're any place in the world other than downtown Hillsboro, which you are. And my show is on Saturday nights at 6, and I hope you're having a good time listening to these songs you've never heard before and you'll probably never hear again, unless I do like a crazy greatest hits show which I've been thinking about doing, but I'm probably not. So that's set started with an, uh, there is a group called the fifth Avenue buses, which released one who released one album called a fantastic voyage in 1967. And, um, well, the fantastic voyage was a song you heard. The album was called trip to Gotham city. And it, it's one of countless cash in records trying to cash in on the sudden popularity of a Batman television show. So let's see. Um, so there's songs called uh, Robin. I play. I actually played that song before. Um, the Joker. Um, Fantastic Voyage. I just played Catwoman, which uh, I have scheduled for later in the set but i don't think i'm gonna to get to it i got too much stuff so i looked up all the information i could find and i believe that a guy named billy page wrote all these songs there's no covers or anything like that they're all song you know just like a cash in record and they would not pay for the licensing of the original theme or anything like that. No, 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 no. That would be that would be silly. So keep the name Billy Page in your mind. Next, I played a song called Child in Question from a band called A Letter Home. Another band that released one record. In fact, I don't think they even released it in the time that it was recorded. I think it was discovered by someone somewhere in a recording studio and they put it out. And the reason they put it out was because a lot of people, a lot of famous people played on it, including Tim Rush. Uh, one of the guys from um, 
the Hollies, I think. No, the Hollies, the Kinks, maybe. I I don't know. But also on this album was uh, the guitar stylings of one Andy Summers, who in a couple of years would join the police and conquer the world. And before that, as you know, well, he played on uh, Tim Rush's, a couple of Tim Rush albums, and he played on that fantastic song that I play every now and then, uh, <clears throat> Second Avenue. But before that, he was in uh, The New Animals. Uh, he played with Zoot Money and uh, Joan Arbitrating. He was a long, long-tenured respected cat before he even he ever um played with the police he was a veteran of the music biz by that time actually they all were i think the the one the 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 one that was um perhaps newest was stuart copeland but by then his brother um <clears throat> owned uh i i don't know how the how the uh, timeline went but uh you know, immersed in the very lucrative business of being uh, the police. And uh, I don't mind. Most people don't mind. But so if you dig it out, if you look online, you can find it. It's called um, A Letter Home. And it looks like a really cheap Christmas card. And it sounds like it's just a bunch of rich guys jamming, doing drugs and playing music and having fun. I don't think we were meant to hear it, but we heard it a little bit. After that, a uh, copy, a uh, cover of uh, the song "A Teenager in Love" by a band called Rubber Ducky, who was actually 10CC before or perhaps during their um, sessions for their first album. Pretty, pretty rote cover there. Didn't really do anything except for some of the backing vocals were kind of twisted and nice. And then uh, I told you, I told you to remember the name Billy Page, because then Billy Page comes out with uh, a single in 1965 called "It's Pop," and it sounds a lot like he's making fun of the current trends in music, like well, Sonny and Cher, who sort of deserved to be made fun of, if you know the story. And the Rolling Stones and the guy sounds like Bob Dylan doing talking blues and trying to sound like a rubber soul. And yeah, it's pop, whatever. But uh, as you know, from countless, um, we've talked about this before, there were just a whole lot of people trying to make a lot of money off of uh, better groups. But it started, oh, God, long time before that. You know, white guys trying to take advantage of uh, of black records, of race records. Old show business clashing, clashing with new show business. You know how it goes. So we talk about that at length. I will not talk about that at length, though. I'm going to play you something really neat. Pay attention to this next song. Pay attention to the instrument that you're hearing. It's um, it's a unique, it's a neat story. And then we'll have a lot to talk about at the top of the hour. This is D-Sides Orphans and Oddities. My name is Gilbert Neal. Yes, I know. 
I should be somewhere else. Hit it.
magique, I guess. <laughs> that wasn't so good. <laughs>
WHUP LP Hillsboro.
gotta hear that um that whole album there's a lot of uh covers of B- bg songs from um saturday night fever on that album the band is called um grupo solo from guatemala and they do uh um you should be dancing and uh, what else? God. Uh, Cut the Cake by Average White Band. You, um, I Just Want to Be Your Everything by Andy Gibb. Uh, Gotta Get a Message to You. And um, A Real Mother for You. So that song was, as you know, a big hit for Johnny Guitar Watson. In 1977, on the Amherst Records label, which I did a whole show on, the Amherst Records label, near and dear to me, as a reformed Buffalonian, I worked very briefly for Lenny Silver, who was the president and owner of Amherst Records, and one of his bigger acts back in the 70s was Johnny Guitar Watson who Frank Zappa really liked. But that's not how I found Johnny Guitar Watson. I found him because when uh, Real Mother For You came out, it was uh, a big show in uh, Buffalo, New York, promoted heavily. I don't know how well it did, but really in unique sound. I like him. I like Johnny Guitar Watson. Made it all the way to Guatemala, where he got covered. <laughs> Before that, a really beautiful song by Gail Moran, who was the wife of the recently departed Chick Corea. And I am one of the proud owners of Gail Moran's solo album from 79, I Loved You Then, or I Love You Now, I Loved You Then. And uh, she took part in a thing called a Jazz Gala 80 in 1980, um, Stan Getz had uh, hosted this thing, I think. And Magic Spell is just a wonderful, beautiful song. And it was co-written by Mike Garson. Do you know who Mike Garson was? Mike Garson is known for his partnership with David Bowie from the first record to the last. And if you listen to a David Bowie record... Uh, Inside, I think, is the one that I'm particularly noticing Mike Garson's crazy key- keyboard 
flourishes nuts makes you makes you feel like you're just insane for listening to this music but good stuff <sighs> so i wanted to talk about the song before that which you know people of a certain age know the song as heart and soul which was a huge hit for huey lewis in the news in 1983 and as you also know it was not recorded the first time by Huey Lewis in the News. It was recorded first by a band named Exile, who went on to have a lot of success in the country charts in the 80s and 90s. I mean, I, I don't know anything about... Uh, the country charts then all i know is that garth brooks came out in the late 80s early 90s and all of a sudden every band wanted to play country because they wanted a gig ourselves included but before that the band exile was very big and i bet a lot of country fans didn't know the fact that that before that they had a huge hit in the 70s with kiss you all over I want to kiss you all over. And I've played that on my show. Other people's versions of it, of course. And it's it's a great song. And they're, and the people who wrote it were Nikki Chin and Mike Chapman. So they wrote it, they wrote um, Kiss You All Over, and then for a follow-up, they wrote this song, Heart and Soul, which, which didn't do too well for Exile. It wasn't bad. I thought Exile's version was actually better than Huey Lewis's, but... Huey Lewis's version was not the second. It was the third. And I have to talk about this a little bit. So, people of a certain age, like me, people of a certain age might remember in 1982... I wasn't born yet, but I remember there was a band that came out that was on everything. <laughs> they, had, they were on every TV show. They opened up for Eddie Murphy when he was doing his, I believe, his first tour, first comedy tour. This band opened up for him. Wait, wait, wait. First, I want to tell you about Mike, Mike Chin, or excuse me, Nikki Chin and Mike Chapman. They wrote Little Willie for The Sweet. Do you remember The Sweet? They did Loveless Like Oxygen, but their first, first hit in the United States was Little Willie. Little Willie, Willie won't go home. Oh, my God. So catchy. Come on. And then Susie Quattro 
had her first American hit with a song called 48 Crash. What does it mean? I don't know what it means. 48 Crash, 48 Crash. It was a silk sash bash. 48 Crash. Her first hit in the United States. The Sweet. Susie Quattro. And then it keeps going. The Ballroom Blitz. Another huge hit in the United States for The Sweet. Chin Chapman. They wrote songs for Exile. They wrote the Susie Quattro hit with Chris Norman stumbling in. Her entree into easy listening, top 40 radio. It was a hit. They could do no wrong. Oh, you know what else they wrote? Mickey. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. Originally written for a band named Racy. And then she covered it. So these guys were white hot. 70s and the 80s. Well, they wrote, not, not every song was a hit, but they wrote a lot of hits. They wrote more than their share of hits. So Exile didn't have a hit with the song, and they, they, they changed their whole thing, became a country group, put on vests, cut their hair, and started singing about, you know, respectable things. And this band comes along in 1982 called the Bus Boys. They do not eschew the stereotype. They embrace it. So you have, um, I think, five black musicians, one... Um, Spanish musician, Spanish, Mexican. And they're all in short sleeve shirts and ties, white shirts, black pants, like busboys. In fact, on their cover of the, fir the first album is the lead singer. Hold I think he's holding a tray. Busboys. And... If you remember that time, like I do very vividly, they were on everything. They were on every television show. Because look at these guys. Look at these, look at this, this, this thing. They've like um it's like they took they took styles and they smushed them together, and that was always a success for American charts. And they had a song called The Boys Are Back in Town. It was good. I mean, if they couldn't sing, and if they couldn't play, you know, nobody would care. But they were not bad. They were energetic. Um, Brian O'Neill was their lead singer. Attractive. Good singer, good performer. They were all good performers. Hispanic heritage, I meant to say. Uh, the Boys Are Back in Town was their hit. And uh, they did a song for the film Ghostbusters. A song called Cleaning Up the Town. See, all their albums had this theme running through them, through it, through them, through you. Uh, the Working Man. 
Americana. The working man, hard working man. But they had the one hit. And then they came out with another album after that. Um, and they toured with Eddie Murphy for his Delirious tour. So uh, his Delirious tour went on HBO, his stop on HBO. And so right away, look at these guys on stage on HBO playing these songs and, and, and doing this crazy stuff, you know? There was a there was little humor to it all. Their first album was called Minimum Wage Rock and Roll, and then the next album was called American Worker. And you just heard a song from that, um, Heart and Soul, which was not bad. Like I said, I, I didn't like Huey Lewis's uh, version as much. So they kept they, they they kept at it. They released another album in 1988. Uh, Wikipedia says, uh, money don't make no man. Uh, the track Never Giving Up featured Eddie Murphy prominently during the chorus. Murphy also appeared in the music video to support the album release and the song release. I have seen the video and I have heard the song and they're both very, very bad. It's, 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 it's not good. But they were on American Bandstand. They were on Soul Train. They were on Don News Rock Concert. Um, so many things. And you just heard a song. I You just heard from them a version of um, Heart and Soul. You, you can't really ruin a bad song. And uh, they stuck with the arrangement. It's pretty good. And before that, Bobby Lyle, very well-known jazz pianist who uh, played theme from Shaft. On an instrument called the GX-1. Um, conceived for theaters and similar use, the GX-1 set the electronic keyboard industry on its ear. The first polyphonic synthesizer instrument of its kind, it bridged the gap between organ and the synthesizer. The velocity-sensitive keyboards, which we love, allowed true expression of the voices a concept never before imagined in the electronic organs. The smaller solo keyboard, which you heard, was pressure sensitive. Um, my note is that this thing weighed over 700 pounds. It wasn't just a keyboard. It was a bench. It was a bench attached to a keyboard. They all, it was all like one big keyboard hockey arena organist machine. Um, it says the GX1 voices were programmed onto matchbox sized cartridges. Each cartridge had 26 screw sized dials on them to change stuff. 70 cartridges in total were loaded on into tracks that emerged from the top of the console. So this guy, Bobby Lyle, loved by all, loved by some, uh, did a whole album. And you just heard his version of Shaft which I love. I love any version of Shaft. It just it just says the early 70s to me more more than almost anything. I think the only thing that says uh, early 70s more than that is the song Miracles by Jefferson Starship. But we'll get to that another time. This is uh, D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. My name is Gilbert Neal. And um, 
I'm I'm grateful you're listening to my show. I wasn't going to do it. Um, I was going to be in uh, Atlanta doing a video for my album coming out in May, but I chickened out. And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it. And I've come up with a reason why I did not go to Atlanta to visit my friend Saul and record a video for the song Vapor Girl, which I will play lots and lots when the album comes out in May. And the reason is I don't want to drive six hours. And that's it. If he was to come here, we would do it. We would do it over a few days. But I don't want to drive to Atlanta. Okay, so onward, and this is this is interesting. This song, or excuse me, this <laughs> this uh, this set is going to be very interesting because we're going to talk about it afterwards. You want to stick around for this? Uh, trust me, you do. to care I'm a wandering man and I walk this lonely land once I was happy and once I was rich now I sleep in a roadside
this to you <clears throat> we started that set with um harry gullet and the wheels with the wandering man i don't know that i don't i can't find the year and after that jenny darren and the second city sound with a cop cover of uh river deep mountain high which was origi- originally released by ike and tina turner this version was 69 and Jenny Darren is uh, in the Pantheon because she was the original artist who recorded the song Heartbreaker, which Pat Benatar made a hit a few years later. But Jenny Darren's was better. After that, a fellow named Lance Rensel with Beyond Love and Looking Like Something That Ain't from 1971. Who was Lance Rensel? People of a certain age, I'm not going to say who, I wasn't born yet, but I did see Lance Retzel play football. He played for what was my favorite team at the time, the Dallas Cowboys. I loved the Dallas Cowboys and Roger Staubach and that haircut. Tom Landry was like a father to me, although I never met him and I doubt he was really a father to me. 
but I love the Cowboys. They were the first thing uh, I liked about sports. Um, and one of their best players was Lance Renssel. He had played for the Vikings before that. And then he played for the Cowboys. And then after a while, he played for the uh, L.A. Rams. <clears throat> he was very good. He um, uh, he left when he when he when he left the Cowboys after four years, he was the fourth fourth all time wide receiver. In addition to other records, most receptions in a game, 13. Um, most consecutive 100-yard receiving games, 3. Fourth in most receiving yard touchdowns in a season, 12. Fourth in most career postseason receiving yards, 242. And Dallas went to the playoffs a lot back then. So, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, you know how it is with athletes. They are alpha males by birth and rarely do you see an insecure player or see their insecurities so Lance Retzel was well he had a big head and his football cards portray that fact perfectly wonderfully just look him up Lance Retzel he married what was probably the sexiest woman in the world at the time she was an actress, dancer. Oh, she was a dancer. Oh, 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 oh pretty. And a singer. Well, she was more of a dancer than a singer. And um, she was in show business. She was on the Dean Martin show. She was on uh, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And she married an athlete, Lance Retzel. <clears throat> and now I quote the Wikipedia, which I like. In April 1969, Rensel married Joey Heatherton, an actress, dancer, and singer in New York City. In November of 1970, Rensel was arrested for exposing himself to a 10-year-old girl. He pled guilty to the charge and promised to undergo psychiatric treatment and was given a suspended sentence. Heatherton filed for divorce September of 71, and it became final in 72. Now, to be fair, he actually did this thing um, when he was in Minnesota, when he was playing for the Vikings. In September 66, he was charged with exposing himself to two young girls in St. Paul. So I guess it was two things, two things of exposing himself. So on one hand, he married the sexiest woman in the world. And on the other, he just and pled guilty to a reduced charge of disorderly conduct. Rensel asked the Cowboys to place him on the inactive list so he could devote his time to settling his personal affairs. He would miss the last three games of the regular season, including the Cowboys' playoff drive to its Super Bowl V loss to the Colts. Now, as you all know, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl the next year, and Retzel could have had a Super Bowl ring if he had not exposed himself. You know, that's the thing. 
that's the thing, right? That's the thing. So then he got traded to the Rams, did okay. Then he retired in 75. But in 1971, at the peak of his powers, he released a single. And you just heard both sides of it. So don't say I never gave you anything. I played you both sides of Lance Rensel's 1971 recording. It sounds like Paul Revere and the Raiders, sort of. Sounds like Bobby Sherman, you know? You don't know. You're just you're just playing with me. You're being nice. Stop it. I don't like it. Anyway, I'm done talking and you're done listening, so I'm just gonna play music until the top of the hour. This is WHUP fm.org my name is gilbert neal this is d sides orphans and oddities visit me at dsides.podbean.com and you can see all of my retrospective shows i haven't put one up there in a while but i'll probably do one soon anyway
little Scooby-Doo. Let's have a bite of an item stew. Now what you've got in that pot? I like my sheer now while it's hot. You've got black man, white man. And then you got the Indian. A good man is a Rasta man. A bad man is a Babylon. You got this man, that man. The old darn thing is a Jaja's plan. Talking this, saying that. If it ain't true, it's a whole lot of chat. I'm here now and I wanna say, come on down and dig reggae. I say one, two, buckle your shoe. It's not that I'm telling you what to do. Buckingham Palace, the girl called Alice. Come on, man, let's sip up a chalice. I said, ear, feel, battlefield. Please don't trample on my collie feet. Joe Ray, me, so lati. Girl, I want you come on home with me. All the little girls in your tight little shorts going around and breaking hearts. I said, I'm a dread and so smart. Girl, I'm gonna tear you apart. To cocaine down the lane. And now he's dancing in the rain. He took cocaine down the lane. His old life's gone in a drain. They say cocaine wrecks your brain. Speed lets you go. So I dread. Girl, I think you're for me, and I don't care what 
you hear me? I've been talking very loud. You sure are sleeping sound. Your hands are very cold. Is something wrong? There are so many things I meant to say. Streaming live at 1047. Streaming live at WH. The show where we to WHUP LP 